0: That, what I just described, is only a subset. I was working with this one company in Saudi Arabia, believe it or not, that had sent me a proposal for why they want to do OKRs. I said, you know, give me all the information. They wrote me this thing, and it was like 15 bullet points for why they want to do OKRs. And so I only gave you like eight. So imagine seven more. And I had to say, I had to say this in a way that was nice because I didn't want to be too mean, but I had to say, listen, you can't have that many reasons because when you give me that many reasons, you're not giving me any reasons.
1: And welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, VP of Product Marketing at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. Inspired by the proven objectives and key results goal-setting methodology, GTM Hub offers the most flexible results management system for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Why are we adopting OKRs? Should we do individual OKRs? Does a quarterly OKR cycle make sense, or should we break from convention? If you're thinking about adopting OKRs for the first time, tweaking your existing OKR program, or coaching others on the art of OKRs, this episode's for you. In this two-part series, we talk with Ben Lamort, an OKRs coach, author, and founder of OKRs.com. He's got more OKRs coaching experience than anyone on the planet. We cover answers to these questions, discuss his new book, the OKRs Fieldbook, and more. Let's jump in. Ben, like I said, before we even hit record, I am so excited to talk to you about OKRs. Thanks so much for being on Dreams with Deadlines.
0: Of course. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: So we're going to go ahead and just roll right into this. You own OKRs.com you founded your company 2014 and on your website it says under about me you have more okr's coaching experience than anyone on the planet how did you end up doing this
0: well it's a great story actually and i'm going to give you a little bit of the details because every time somebody asks me i usually give them the 2 minute version but since it's a podcast i'm going to fill you in and this oh, is just yeah. this- this is very much based on a true story. Okay. But this is my memory of it, but you know how memory works. So look, I was doing engineering and graduate school and I went into psychology and I kept asking these people who I would notice like a professor at Stanford, this guy, Dennis Matthews, who was a mentor of mine. He taught people how to learn, right? How cool is that? He ended up going on to Microsoft and he taught people how to learn at Microsoft and Just to put this in perspective, his joke was when he was at Stanford teaching, he was like, hey, you know, if I was teaching tennis, it would be like I'm teaching kids like how to, you know, hit a ball with a forehand. And when I go to Microsoft, I'm working with like, you know, Ivan Lendl or, you know, one of the great tennis players, you know, these are the people that are really smart. And so it put us as Stanford students in our place as, oh, well, we don't really know anything. And of course, we were at Stanford. We thought we did. But when you go into the work world, you do realize that especially these executives who are at places like Microsoft, they just are so good at asking questions. They can quickly figure out what they need to figure out and have a very crisp communication. So I said, I want to be like you. And Dennis said, this was the professor, he said, you know, I was like, well, what class do I take? You know, what major do I do? I mean, how do I become like you? You know, do I have to do a certain thesis or an internship, you know? <laughs> and he said, listen, Ben, you know, you have to find your path. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll go through a journey and eventually you'll figure out where you can be. But there is no, you know, box that you checked in order to become like me or, you know, you have to become like you. And it was a very much of a Yoda-like answer. <laughs> So what, you know, as a, as a graduate student, this is not the answer I wanted. I wanted to know like, you know, wait, do, if Tell I major in this, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah. I think we've all been in our twenties and we've all felt like that. So I was yeah. there, I was just, I was perfectly developmentally appropriate. It was a really tough time, quarter life mm-hmm. crisis, ended up getting a job in, um, management consulting, but because I was an engineer, they put me in front of a spreadsheet. They said, Hey Ben, here's your spreadsheet. Go to it. And, I was really more of a people person, but it didn't really matter. I was pretty good at spreadsheets. I actually learned spreadsheets, okay, on the job. And I will say if you're listening to this podcast and you're in your twenties, learn spreadsheets. It's, it's yes. Like, isn't that true? It's like this is the fundamental that thing you need mine. to know. <laughs> that
1: was the first thing. Same. I was Control A. <laughs> oh my gosh. Control V, if you're if you want to even get crazy with it, do some visual basic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Learn macros. I mean, this is Learn like some, you can really differentiate yourself. So I did that. I was and I was thinking I think everything was going pretty well. I will tell you psychologically something interesting happened. Oh, uh, management consulting went into a dot com, built out uh, financial models for planetrx.com where we basically sold drugs online. OK, oh my these were prescription medications, but we raised four hundred million dollars four years later. Gone. Right. This was a classic dot com failure. So that's a whole nother podcast, right? So then my what? arms started to go weak. Imagine this I'm using the IBM ThinkPad. If those of you that can remember, the ThinkPad had the little red totally dot in the middle. Do. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, you can't oh, yeah. blame me. I was working 15 hours a week or a day, basically, on this darn ThinkPad. And finally, my arms just went out. I couldn't basically, I couldn't really move my hand. And the warning signs were, hey, it sort of hurts. It's kind of numb. Ah, I'll just keep working. Hey, if that happens, stop. You know, ergonomics all the way, right? I give you my speech. So for a couple of years, I started doing yoga. I was trying to figure out how to get my arms back. And eventually I did. Good. And I'll tell you, I went to graduate school in psychology. Okay. This is how sort of bizarre my career is because my father-in-law was the head of the psychiatry department at UCSF and he was a mentor of mine. My own father, also a psychologist, recently passed away, but also a psychologist. So I wanted to follow his footsteps. But midway through, I realized, wait a minute, I scratched my head and I said, you know, you don't make any money as a psychologist and I'm just going into more debt now, graduate school, Right. So that's okay. when I decided I got to get a job again, you know, and it, and I ended up doing financial modeling, but with software, I got into the software space. Ultimately, what I was doing was building financial models based on the drivers and metrics throughout the organization. But notice what I said, financial models. Everything was about the money, you know, right. how much right. revenue do you get for this? How much does that cost? Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I started, I got a really cool job at a place called adaptive planning, where they basically said, you're in charge of the center for customer excellence. This job was one of those jobs where I was finally arriving. You know, this was a job where I was, I was basically a salesperson without a quota. So I could be lazy and just talk, which is what I love to do and (laughs) go around and make presentations. And it was a lot of fun. And they were finally paying me what I was worth, right? That type of thing. But three months later, I quit that job because OKRs were my passion. What I didn't tell you was right Mm. before I spent about three months working on a project. Well, it was actually four months. supposed to be a few weeks working on a KPI project. And the way that they framed it was, hey, Ben, we need your help with these KPIs. By the way, we've already brainstormed all the KPIs. We just need you to tell us what the numbers should be, you know, what the targets should be. And I'm sitting here. Look, I'm not an expert on your business industry. I can't tell you what your goals should be. But I went in and I, I'll never forget this because my, my uh, strategy document arrived like a couple weeks before I got on the plane to meet with the CEO. And it was one of those 20 page documents that had like all these different statements about the strategy and, you know, we got to go right. international, we got to do this. Right. And I translated it into an OKRs document, objectives and key results, right? And when I presented it to them, they looked at it and they said, hey, this is exactly what we want to do across every department, every business unit in our organization. So I started interviewing people and doing OKRs. And that was about 2013. That was my first true paid OKRs um, engagement. Now, back wow. then, people, most people didn't know what OKRs was, right? This was oh, right yeah. before the, the Google video came out in 2014, I think it was. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but what, I, what happened was for the first time, I had that moment where, am I Dennis? You know, because the work <laughs> I was doing, it was like so... Awesome. Yeah, it was like I was like oh my That's god, awesome. I'm in my element. It combined engineering, it combined psychology, it combined everything I wanted to do. And this was the first time I felt like I was really moving the needle at work as opposed to just doing the job, right? Remember I said I started out put you in front of a computer to your spreadsheets. Yeah. This was really let's take a step back. What is your mission? What are you trying to achieve? Why is that why is that important right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and how will we know you've achieved that objective? And all those basic questions that you ask when you're doing OKRs. I found to be really always valuable across all these 40 or so conversations. And I totally. I would say at that point I never looked back. I just said I gotta do it. Now the inside story though, and I just gotta I just gotta share this with you really quickly is and I'm working with this one client and they have about a hundred employees. Okay. So hey, you know, you're in the software space, you know what I'm talking about. hundred employees, you're selling software, you know, you're just not gonna make that much money selling software to a company sure. with a hundred employees. Sure. But but yet I spent two days on site, okay, doing OKRS training. And I only trained half the team and I needed to train the other half. So Mm -hmm. it was going to be closer to four days of on-site, you know, training to get them going. I'll never forget when I, when the CEO said, how's it going with that client? And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's going really well. We're, we, um, we've trained half the company says, well, okay, so where have you been? I said, well, I've been to their office. I'm on day, I finished day two. And he said, you gotta be kidding me, Ben. You know, we're a software company. You know, do you know anything about software? I mean, our multiple is based on, you know, we sell software. We don't do services. And at that point, the writing was on the wall. I need to do OKRs.com. I I wanted to be an OKRs coach to really help organizations with their OKRs as opposed to just like roll software out, you know, and then because I was told the training should be like two hours. (laughs) And anybody who's listening to this podcast that knows about OKRs, there's this absolute imperative need to have an OKRs dialogue. This is called OKRs coaching. Totally, and it that alone might take two hours just to draft OKRs for like one or two teams, and there might be twenty five teams. I mean, you, you really need that outside help, and so that's what I do, and I've been doing that ever since.
1: It says you've helped over a hundred organizations now deploy OKRs, ranging from some. I'm just going to list off names. These are on your sure, website: sure. eBay, sure. Adobe, Capital One, Zalando, which is really close to me. I can throw a stone and hit the building. I'm in Berlin. Yep. Career Builder and Go Noodle. So I, I think it's safe to say that OKRs work in big companies. The question is how? Yeah. And that's yeah, what I want to spend it. some time talking about. So you're writing your new book. I think some of this might intertwine with that. Like, So maybe if you don't mind, we will launch into some of this subject matter uh, because yeah, I think it's helpful. It. So maybe we go with, uh, and I, I think this is in your book too, so I'm excited to talk about as Trends of OKRs. We can just talk about the general trends that yeah. you're seeing. What are you seeing out there? And we'll, well, and then we'll launch into adoption and deployment. Yeah, I mean, and, I'm really and, glad and, that you yeah. asked
0: that. Look, I mean, let me be clear that this book that I'm working on is trying to dive into the second order of OKRs questions, because as you know, mm-hmm. we have these books like Measure What Matters. Absolutely. You have the book I, I wrote with my buddy Paul. And these right. books are, and also Radical Focus, those are really the big three must read or must have on your bookshelf if you're an OKRs coach, right? And what I'll tell you is they all pretty much accomplish the same thing. They get you excited about OKRs. They tell you why you should do it. They tell you some examples of OKRs. They give you lists of companies that are doing OKRs. And really, they I'd say after you read the book, you you want to do it. Most people, especially if you read Measure What Matters, you come out of here saying, "Wow, well, I got to read Measure What Matters. I got to right. go do OKRs. I got I to spread the word. The thing is, like you, you pointed out, how do OKRs work in bigger companies? You know, can OKRs work in bigger companies? Mm-hmm. When do you need a software tool? Do you need a software tool? Mm-hmm. You know, How do you best roll out OKRs? Do you do it all at once? Do you do individual level OKRs? Like all these questions that you have, I try to answer that in my next book. And what I'll tell you is since um, 2016, when I did a book with Paul called Objectives and Key Results, which I thought was a great title, we, we realized nobody take, took the title Objectives and Key Results. Oh, we'll just use that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was the first one I read, honestly. I read that actually before Measure What Matters. I was like, I need to actually know what this is. This guy knows what he's talking about. So that was the first Isn't
0: that, one. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's, 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 I'm glad that you read that one. And, you know, look, it was more of a textbook style book. You know, we wanted to get it out there. So when you think about the trends since 2016, like some of the things that we've noticed, and this is really interesting to me personally, because when I first started with OKRs, the number of objectives, we use this idea of five plus or minus two. Right, And this this was like, you know, three to seven. I mean, five plus or minus two is kind of the nerdy way of saying somewhere between three and seven. But, <laughs> you know, we're into metrics. We're like, you know, that's really cool. We'll say five plus or minus two.
1: Right. So
0: what that means is you could have seven objectives. So a given team might actually have seven objectives. Now, imagine each of those having three or four key results. You're talking, you know, 20, 25, even 30 key results in some cases to for track. a team. Yeah, to track. And you know, that's a lot, right? And I, I look back at that and I say, wow, I think part of it is, and this might sound kind of negative, but I think if you go back to like the 1980s, if you can go 1990s, I think we had bigger attention spans, to be honest. Right I'm before be the honest. iPhone, I totally
1: <laughs> think so. I'm a, chi- I don't look like it. I'm a child of the '80s. I'm like, how come I can sit and listen to a concerto for four hours, and that kid fell asleep over there? Right. You know. Like... Right. I
0: mean, I was watching, I was watching <laughs> the movie Singing in the Rain, and watching the movie Singing in the Rain is almost like you're feeling like you're reading a book, right? What, can yeah. they just edit this? So when do they go slow. to the next yeah. scene? Yeah. 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 So our yeah. brains are different. So, so today's modern brain. And in, in a way, this is good. I want to sort of say, actually, there is a silver lining, which is now what I'm seeing is maybe one or two objectives per team is the typical. Yeah. And, you know, when Christina wrote Radical Focus, saying you could only have one objective was a radical concept.
1: It was nuts. I it read was it. nuts. I was like, like, how
0: can you only have one objective? What are you kidding what me? You have to have yeah. yeah. You know, like, so,
1: what about the other things you want? Yeah. To <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You can't how do can that.
1: Pick one? It's like eating Lay's potato chips. You can't pick just one. Yeah. Right.
0: What I would say is that, you know, at the time, I thought that was almost insane. Now I'm starting to think, look, the default that I'm seeing is two objectives per team. And really what it comes down to is Uh. a balance between one external objective facing outside and one internal into the company. So it might be, hey, we want to, you know, delight the customers with better, you know, call center service or something. And that's going to be an impact outside the team. But then we might have another one, which is, We want to automate our own processes so that, you know, we don't waste as much time on this stupid stuff with this, you know, Oracle process or something which is based on a true story. So you might have a balance of an internal thing, which really your customers don't even know about. They don't care about. And something that's more external facing your customers. Or you might have an objective where it's like all about this, which is like longer term thinking and then shorter term thinking. Or is there some kind Mm -hmm. of a yin and yang balance between two objectives? Mm -hmm. And I talked to Christina about this quite a bit. And she agreed, hey, look, if you can get it down to two objectives, where one is like that and one is like that, and they're sort of, you know, diametrically, you know, sort of synergistic in some way, or they're, they're, that's probably fine. We can still consider that radical focus. So I think the trend is you're going to see most organizations adopting that one, two, really at very most three objectives. So it's now it's becoming two plus or minus one. So, you know, <laughs> five plus or minus two has transformed into two plus or minus one over the last four or five years. And to me, that's pretty wild. And then the, uh, I won't go through all the trends, but I'll give you one more, which is, Actually, I'll give you two more because these two are really important. Okay. The second trend is the quarterly default. And to those of you that read Measure What Matters, and even before that, there was this mindset of like, oh, I know OKRs are quarterly. That's just because that's the way they are. And if you look closely at that, you'll find that that doesn't really make sense in some cases. So what we're finding is a movement toward four month cycles. And I'm seeing that. Yeah. So,
1: yeah.
0: Well, so look at it this way there's a couple really big arguments for this. Number one. The, the quarterly crunch. So if you look mm. at a quarter, yes, I know people like organize themselves on quarters. But if you talk to salespeople at the end of the quarter, they just they're say get out. away. Yeah, they're, they're just like get out. away. Yeah, Because they're, they're... I got
1: to get my quota. Just I need to close my deals. I got to follow up all of this stuff. Leave me alone.
0: exactly. And then if you talk to like the finance people in the beginning of the quarter, same thing. So, you know, adding on another process that just plays off the quarter, you know, it sounds good at first, but when you really operationalize it, yeah, there's some pushback here and there. The second thing I found is that if you look at the incremental value from going, like if you look at an annual goal setting model, the incremental Mm -hmm. value of going to a six month model is quite large. Mm. If you go from a, a six month model to a four month model, so you have three, you know, goal setting periods, if you will, in a year. The incremental value is also quite large. Now, what happens is when you start to go from three cycles in a year to four cycles in a year, you're starting to get into this gray area of, do we really need to do four? You know, how much value does that add? Is that just more overhead? Because it's just not really there. So the the case for going to four isn't very strong. And then finally, there was an unanticipated advantage. Now get this. So one of my clients had a um, real challenge separating OKRs from performance reviews. Oh, and they yes. happen to have a quarterly performance review process, which, by the way, I love. I love quarterly performance review process way better than annual. Like, I think we should all agree oh, to that. I think everybody's agree moving to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, it's the way to go. Yeah. But what yeah. they did was by offsetting the OKR cycle from the performance review schedule, just simply having it be that it's four months instead of three months. So then it's a different meeting. People in their mind said, oh, OK, wait. So OKRs must be different than performance reviews because they're like a different meeting. You know, it's not. So we don't just do a or oh. a, a performance review and then set OKRs every quarter. So by having an offset cycle, they had this sort of like, ah, okay, these are different. They're sort of related, but they're they're a different conversation, and that really was an un, unexpected benefit. And then the other one was they had seven one-on-one touch points that were required between manager and direct report formally, and they found that that was great. They didn't necessarily want to require much more than that, but once they had seven, it was better than four you know, required touch points and it kind of kept that engagement. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of interesting reasons to move to four months. Does it mean everybody should do it? No, but I, I call a lot of my clients who have moved from quarterly to four months. They're just like, oh yeah, we're never going back.
1: That's awesome. I think that's so helpful to think about because everyone's like, oh, yeah, you do quarterly ones to the annual ones. And maybe you have a three year strategy that's kind of super high level. And that's just how things are. That's just how things are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, The final point on that is that what I call the January effect. So so many of my clients will just have this problem and it'll be around the middle of February because they'll be announcing their OKRs for Q1. Yep. And there's always some wise guy in the back that's kind of raising their hand and saying, "Excuse me, are we
1: halfway through Q1?" Yeah.
0: <laughs> why are you telling me these are the Q and OKRs? You know, in 2 we don't weeks have time we're supposed to develop, accomplish yeah. that. Yeah. We're supposed I mean, to develop the Q OKRs. Like we're supposed to start drafting those in a couple of weeks. So, you know, why are you telling me this? And it's yeah. like as much as I hate to admit it, you know, cuz I'm a teacher myself in some ways, that's kind of the annoying kid in the back that's, "Excuse me," you know, with that little tone. But you're like, "You know what? You're right." I hate to say this. You're right. So if you right. do a cycle that goes, that ends the month of January, mm. so it kicks off February 1st, all of a sudden you address that problem and people feel like, rather than feeling like stressed out about, oh my God, we're behind and oh my God, we got to get these things in, you know, you shouldn't really have to feel like you have to rush your OKRs. So we just got to get this thing over with and we got to hit right. our deadline. You want to be thoughtful. And so having those three cycles seems to give people a little bit more breathing room, especially with holidays. You see that in June and July too. Okay. So that's a big one. And then the final trend I wanted to cover was the movement to defer the individual level OKR. So when I first started, I would okay. say probably about, I don't know, a third of the time somebody approached me, let's say in 2015, they would say, Hey, you know, we want to get OKRs going, we want to roll them out all over the place, you know, get everybody doing OKRs individual level as well. And I think that was because that was an artifact of the Google video. Cause a lot of people watch the Google that's Ventures true. workshop and it was like, hey, individual OKRs are a company, team, and individual. Very simple. Fine print, this is how Google does it. Fine print, Google started you're with OKRs. You're not Google. Yeah, you're not Google. They started when they had like 35 people developing OKRs and they're all really smart. And they're like, well, we'll just do individual OKRs. And somehow that stayed, that stood the test of time. Yeah. Now, when you talk to our friends at Google, you know, not even one of them would recommend that a big company, back to this is going to get to our big company model. If you're a big company with like, you know, 10,000 people, you don't start by rolling out OKRs to 10,000 people. You start by rolling OKRs at a higher level, typically a company or a business unit you work with teams, you figure out even what a team is. And then maybe a year later, we're starting to look at individual level OKRs, but we're not trying to just, yeah, maybe even then it's, and by the way, fine print, I don't like requiring individual level OKRs. I don't mind making it optional, but there are always cases where individuals, certain individuals do not benefit by creating individual level OKRs in every organization I've seen. So if you require it, just think about it logically, right? If you're requiring that, you're basically saying, yeah, well, there's some people that are not going to benefit from this, but we'll make them do it anyway. Okay. Case in point, when I was working with Sears, which was a massive rollout, this was in a sense, Sears was the first big company to roll out OKRs because the CEO saw the Google video and just decided, wow, we got to do that. Plus, this guy was the CEO of Sears and he was desperate. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I talked to their HR team and they were like, look, we need to mix it up. We need to do something that's cool that like the tech companies do or something because we we just got to mix things up you know we 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 got to create more engagement at work i mean we're going we all know we're going out of business at the time seriously yeah yeah, On the yeah. so they rolled out okr's but it was like let's do it as quickly as possible and i remember i talked to this guy dean who at the time was the head of people operations and we were at about 70% adoption of the of the uh, workforce so 20,000 out of 30,000 people or so wow. had adopted OKRs. and he said should we try to increase that cuz we got from like 40% they used to have an okr themselves to get you know mm-hmm. from 40% to 60% or 60 and I said, you know, Dean, if it's been 70% the last couple quarters and it's starting to stabilize, that's probably where it needs to be. And it's more of a health metric because the, the feedback is, you know, if you're, if you're in Sears and your job is to like change the tires on these cars when the cars come in, you know, and that's what you do, mm-hmm. do you really need to write OKRs or do you just need to change the tires when the cars come in? You know, it yeah. doesn't, you know, maybe if you're the manager of the tire center, you might have some productive productivity metrics that you want to push sure. and focus. Sure. But at some point, No you know, you don't need to do OKRs. And so we don't want to force them to do it. And that was really an aha moment for us because we said, oh, OK, so this is not a compliance exercise because HR is often used to doing that, right? You know, you Absolutely. must do this by this date, you know, yep. get it done. So that's not really what we want to see with OKR. So anyway, long story short, individual level OKRs is not as much of a focus now as it was in the past. And even my buddies over at Google have come out. You can see their tweets where they're saying things like, Actually, we do not recommend individual level OKRs when starting, and we're not even sure we recommend individual level OKRs at Ever. all. Yeah, yep. I mean, so just take that with a grain of salt. So that's the; uh, those are all to me good developments for what we're seeing with OKRs. Organizations adopting OKRs. I
1: think that makes sense. Like I was, I, all of us have probably read Drive, you know, the uh, Daniel Pink book about motivation, and he he talked. What I think you're describing is what he is talking about with heuristic tasks, you know, uh, like the different tasks or algorithmic tasks where algorithmic tasks, I'm a grocery checkout clerk. It's a very clear defined thing of what I need to go do. What OKRs would I necessarily need in order to make my job better or more efficient? Right. You right. Know. And,
0: and, you know, right? to some extent, you can't control how many people come through the line. You can't say, hey, I'm going to try to do 100 Absolutely. checkouts today. There's right? nobody and in so- line, you know. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so like, what are you going to do? You're going to get that person to go outside and start promoting for the business?
0: A similar one, a similar one that I see is the call center. I had an early stage client where, you know, they had like 500 employees, right? But 200 people were literally in the call center, you know, the inbound call center, the calls are coming in. Well, they already have a real time dashboard, you know, every single employee has a little thing Mm -hmm. on their screen. It's telling them all the metrics they could ever possibly want. By the way, they paid a lot of money for that system. Sure. So the last thing that person needs now is somebody to tell them, oh, by the way, don't forget to set your OKRs. It's like, <laughs> it's all, I, have I have a system. Metrics. Yeah, I, I, leave me alone. Right. I don't you know, yeah. I'm not trying to improve on anything. I'm trying to do my job, you know, just get away. Right. So a lot right. of people have those kind of business as usual jobs that are at steady state. You're not going to benefit from OKRs. And in fact, even taking that a step further, some organizations do not benefit from OKRs because they're at that steady state. You know, if you're a winery, this is a true story, actually. A buddy of mine was uh, in the winery business. He said, Hey, I got introduced to this winery because we were talking about OKRs, you know, over a glass of wine. He said, You got to come up here. These guys would love OKRs. I go up there, and they're about a $10 million a year winery, family winery. And after about an hour, we realize all we want to do is just keep this thing at about $10 million a year. We want to continue to put the bottles in the cellar and get our reserves. And, you know, there's not really some big problem we're trying to solve. Oh, well, we don't need OKRs. We just want to maintain our business. End of story. Let's go get a drink. You know, we opened up a glass of wine and we just celebrated the fact that we didn't do OKRs. So I want to <laughs> be careful because I'm an OKRs coach. Don't get me wrong. I love OKRs. I think it's the, the, uh, the greatest thing ever. You know, we can totally use this approach to be better at work and do critical thinking and all that. But it doesn't mean everybody should adopt OKRs. Whether you're an individual in some organizations, you might benefit from OKRs at a higher level, but not at your level. And then even even some organizations may actually be better off not even trying to do OKRs in the first place. So that's that's sort of a little bit of a caveat of the of the miracle, because, you know, John Doerr wrote this book and he says, hey, this is a superpower, you know, Yeah. and I I'm not sure I'm ready to go quite that far. I see what he's trying to say, but I'm not quite sure that I'm ready to go quite that far.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. I think those are all really good points. So we've kind of talked kind of broad strokes on some of the trends. Another thing I think you mentioned that you'll have in your book is OKR deployment parameters, because you want to make this. Again, like second order effects, right? Can we kind of deep dive into some of that stuff? So we've talked about, you know, cycle time. You know, what level of the organization do you deploy this to? The one that I want to talk through is know what you're doing with OKRs in the first place, which is kind of hearkening back or a good dovetail from. Uh, we're fine with being a ten million a year winery, right? What do you seeing in terms of why you're doing this to begin with, because I think you have some good stories to tell, given just the broad industries that you've been able to touch and the amount of companies you've been able to work with. What's the why? What do you see Yeah, this is
0: a really, really important question. In fact, it's good that we're talking about this because really this is the number one question for those of you that play Family Feud, you know, if you can go back <laughs> that far, you know, well, what's the thing we need to know about OKRs? If somebody says, well, why are we doing OKRs? It's like, ding, ding, ding. That's your number one answer. Number you know, one. come on down. You win. Yeah. And so... And by the way, if you are an OKRs coach and you're listening to this, just remember this is the first question you have to ask. And I awful, I'm often guilty of not doing that. So I just, I, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's a discipline, and we have to always ask ourselves that question. And we have to ask the CEO or the senior most person. Yes, we have to ask other people too to validate that, and we have to make sure that we have one answer to this question at least at the top level, at the executive level, in an organization. Now, let me tell you the wrong answer. <laughs> so good. the that wrong decided. answer is, we're going to do OKRs. Well, why is that? Oh, because Google does it. This is, mm. of course, a very dangerous answer. You know, this is not good enough. Now, it's interesting as a sort of a side note, Huawei is doing OKRs in China, and I can't help but talk about China. In fact, um, I'm going to be on a big podcast in Ch- with a Chinese audience in November. That's coming up. Very and cool. And OKRs are really taking off in China. Why? Because Huawei is doing OKRs, and my buddy, Kwang Yang, who wrote the book about how, how Huawei does OKRs is starting to get very popular because in the Chinese culture, Huawei is a lot like Google. So, you know, a lot of the executives are like saying, hey, we should do OKRs. Why? Well, Huawei does it. Mm -hmm. If you are in China and you're listening to this podcast, that's not a good answer. (laughs) OK, although I know that there's also some cultural things which is like, well, actually, when Huawei does it, we should do it. It almost is a good answer. But still, I'm going to try to argue it's not. You need to really think for yourself, why are we doing OKRs for our organization and why now? And so the other bad answer is, oh, we're going to do OKRs because we want to create autonomy. We want accountability. We want performance. We want evaluation of employees. We want discipline. And we want focus, transparency, and alignment. (laughs) It's like, what? what? (laughs) That's that's the answer where you just spouted off like 25 different things. And I kid you not, that what I just described is only a subset. I was working with this one company in Saudi Arabia, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. that had sent me a proposal for why they want to do OKRs. I said, you know, give me all the information. They wrote me this thing and it was like 15 bullet points for why they want to do OKRs. Wow. And so I only gave you like eight. So imagine seven more. And I had to say, I had to say this in a way that was nice because I didn't want to be too mean, but I had to say, listen, you can't have that many reasons because when you give me that many reasons, you're not giving me any reasons. That's right. So we eventually try to come down with one. So I've been um and the 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 good answers, which are very focused answers, come in two flavors, right? Either they're accountability and evaluation oriented. You know, we want to shine a spotlight on performance. That's one approach. And then the other seems to be focus, you know, or alignment. Focus and alignment tend to be hand in hand because what are we really saying? We're saying, well, I want to focus on this. I want to be aligned on what we're focused on. It's pretty much the same thing. So I see focus and alignment as probably the best sort of set of reasons for why we want to do OKRs. The thing is, I'll tell you the one thing that I always come back to is the best answer for me. When I'm working with a client, if, if we can get this to be their answer, I want it to come from them, but I secretly kind of want to do my Jedi mind tricks to have them tell me, okay, this is why I really want to do it. I want them to say, we want to do it to improve communication. So we have a common goal language and we want to drive learning because mm. what happens with OKRs is, is at the end of a cycle, you almost always do something wrong. You know, there's something that went wrong. In fact, I was just on with Walmart. One of the key results we realized was totally wrong. It wasn't the right key result. It was like, it seemed like it was right at the time. And at the end of the quarter, we said, actually, no, it's this thing, CPO, whatever that was. I still don't know exactly. But that really was important for them to track that because it was a little bit more impactful and it was a little bit more controllable. So it was not only did it really move the needle in the right direction to achieve the objective, but the engineers felt, hey, we can drive, we can drive that more. So we walked out of there saying, eh, I don't know, Q3 wasn't that good. But you know, Q4 is going to be great if we focus on that and we're applying that learning into the next cycle. So that's the big win to me with OKRs is it's that adjustment from quarter to quarter or every every cycle to cycle that you get. And then it's the way that we talk within our team, but also outside our team about goals using a common language of here is what we really think we can achieve. Here's why it's important. Here's how we're going to make measurable progress. Here's where we need your help. So that that common language allows us to talk and, and ultimately execute. And that's the discipline we want. So if you're a leader in a big company, like I was mentioning, Walmart, if you have 40 or 50 squads, right, which is about what they're going to have in, in this group I'm working with, well, if you're the leader of that, you you don't want to have 40 or 50 totally different conversations about, well, what's coming on your goals or what's your roadmap or what's your to-do list or what's your sprint or what's your this. No, start with OKRs. Then we can, we can have a detailed conversation about activities or plans or whatever. But first, tell me, what's the objective? Remind me why it's important. Here are the key results. How are we doing on that? Are we on track? Okay, 10, 15 minutes of that. Now I can talk to you. That's really the big win that I see with OKRs that's universal, right? This is almost a mindset or a cultural shift on how we talk to each other. And that can help us with focus, alignment, engagement, and all those things. Anyway, that's the why OKRs, you know, in a nutshell. But it's really important that anybody that's doing OKRs really checks with themselves as to why we're doing OKRs. And really, that should really be resonating with you.
1: Mm. Something I I've always been curious of, because I get asked this question, so I'm curious from your expert opinion. Things are going to change. The market is super dynamic. We saw with Corona, everyone uses that example, and that's why OKR seem to be like really amping up. I think it's like, oh my gosh, we have we have to reset. How do we do that in a really quick, but also very clear and somewhat organized fashion, so that we can reset strategy. And communicate that to the rest of the organization, and track against that for that accountability, and hopefully hyper focus. What if priorities change mid cadence or mid cycle or whatever? What should organizations be doing? Because you have two camps. The first camp is you change nothing, you keep going, and then at the end you say, mm, "Yeah, so that wasn't it." And then the other camp is you change it, and the, or you rebaseline it, or you do something. What, what would you say uh, to organizations, especially at scale, that are trying to do this and things just change? We know it and they've got to respond. What should they be doing?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I've, I'm also I see both perspectives here. I, I, I don't want to say like, you know, one is absolutely right and one is absolutely wrong. But I will say that OKRs, it's all about flexibility. So you you know this is not budgeting, right? This isn't like, well that's what you said you were going to do. Now, you can't change it. We'll build variance reports and we'll compare you to what you said versus actuals and all that. This is not budgeting. And so what that means is anybody that tells you you can never change anything, you know, it's in the middle of the cycle, that's how it goes. You're probably wrong. And I'll tell you a personal experience. When you get a certain key result that you know you can't achieve because something happened and it's just sitting there and you're looking at it and it's just pissing you off, and you got to strike so that. Yeah, yeah, you got to cross it out. It's and so what what I do is I use strike through font. If you have that functionality, you can just do strike through font and you you don't just delete it because if you delete it, you know, people might wonder where in the world did that thing go. Right. But if you use if you can use strike through font or you can somehow archive it or add a comment or somehow note that this is no longer a priority.
1: Valid, yeah, reason. or maybe
0: even put it at the bottom of the list and say parking it mm-hmm. for later or whatever. Sure, sure. That's a really nice thing. What I talk about is a reflect and reset. And in a reflect and reset, we do that at the end of the cycle, okay? Where we go through each key result, we talk about, you know, do we want to keep, modify, remove, or like abandon it or defer it? Or what do we want to do for the next cycle? And sometimes we remove it as a health metric. Other times we abandon it because it was the wrong thing. Sometimes we defer it because, hey, the holidays are coming. We didn't get it done. We got to focus on that next year. Whatever the case may be. The thing is, some of my clients who are really, really good, and I'm going to call one out, Indeed. Indeed, you know, they're, everybody's going to get jobs from Indeed someday. These guys, super smart, some of the best engineers I've seen. But what do I mean by that? When they have their OKRs reviewed, now this is in the middle of the cycle. They're doing kind of a mini reflect and reset. So what that means is every key result is, hey, if you can't prove to me that this key result is valid and it's driving the right behavior, take it out. Why are we even Why are we even talking about this? I want so they're having a very, I would say, mature use of OKRs. I wouldn't recommend this for everybody. In fact, I guess my my best answer would be the first quarter or two or even three or four that you're doing OKRs. You might want to say, look, we write the OKRs, we lock it down, that's it. At the end of the quarter, we're going to do a reflect and reset. We can always change things around. And you know, what, if some of them are obsolete, that's fine. That'll be a learning. We'll just deal with it. And that's probably fine. If you're at the level of these folks at Indeed who have been doing OKRs for a couple of years now, and these guys are super smart, really into this kind of stuff, you know, they'll take two or three minutes. This key result, I think we need to modify it because it's not driving the right behavior. So instead of saying we need to get, you know, more partners on board, on board, you know, this number of partners, what we really do is just change that to Microsoft partners because they're the only ones that matter. And we can onboard Microsoft partners from 8 to 12. That's much better than saying onboard overall partners from, you know, 25 to 50. Okay, let's cross it out and change it right now. Here's why we did it. Boom. This is great. All right, next. And these guys are just, they're using this OKRs model. It's almost like really to the next level. So And I I want you to get there. So ultimately what I'm saying is I want you to eventually get to a place where you're very fluid with OKRs and you're probably changing or tweaking OKRs like a good third of the the key results are going to be tweaked, let's say, in a given cycle. You know, even at Oracle, what they did is they had this culture of set the bar high and overachieve. So in their version of OKRs, in the middle of the cycle, they would have said, hey, we're going to onboard 12 new customers in this product or whatever. And in the middle of the quarter, they say, well, we've already got 14. We're going to cross that out. We're going for 40. And that was just the way they did it. Now, that was Oracle because they were Whoa. crazy. They were crazy growth, right? They were more than doubling their their staff every year, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're talking about massive growth. It was the 80s, late 80s. Not everybody can do that, okay? But in their case, most of the key results, the culture was cross it out and set it even higher in the middle of the cycle. So I think this is a really important, you know, quote, deployment parameter of how do we want to handle these changes? And we do want to work toward eventually getting to the point where we're going to allow changes but probably for the first cycle or two, eh, maybe we say you can't make changes. That's what we'll do with the reflect and reset because the the skills that you need at the reflect and reset at the end of a cycle, it takes a little bit of time to get there. So if we empower you to start, you know, changing key results in the middle of the cycle, that's not a very good idea considering we're still learning how to do this OKRs thing in the first place. Mm. Let's, build, let's build a little experience before we do that. So that's actually, this has been a helpful podcast for me because I'm starting to think that's, probably the right recommendation to give. Maybe I got to go update my book. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad this is helping someone out. (laughs) Yeah. Free release. That's awesome. Not sure
0: if it's helping you if you're listening, but hey, it's been great for me.
1: (laughs) That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.